Welcome to the Thought Leader Podcast. I'm Dr. Kent. And I'm Randy Baker. And on the Thought Leader Podcast, we go all around the world seeking people who are interesting to speak to. And today we went to my hometown of Melbourne. Yeah, it's like midwinter down there, isn't it? It's got to be, yeah. you know, 20 below zero, something like that. Yeah, close to that. Yeah. <laughs> but it was a really amazing conversation with um, a young businesswoman who is fierce. We were just talking about it. I use that term all the time for people who uh, just think about things in a different way and they're not going to take no for an answer. So, um, Hacia Atherton. Hacia is a very accomplished sports person. She was an equestrian. But I'll let you tell her equestrian. She was at the highest levels of equestrian horse riding. Um, so <laughs> I like that was fun. I got to we got to all witness Randy getting out from under that metaphorical horse. Yes, that was very difficult. So let us um, go to the interview with Hacia right now. You're going to be inspired. Don't miss this one. So nice to talk with you, Hacia. Is that how you say your name? Hacia, yes. And what does it mean? How did you get it? What what is it? What's the greater meaning of Hesia? The greater meaning of Hesia is protected by God. And it's actually an ancient, I think, Hebrew name, but it was spelt slightly different. And my mum's all into master numbers. And so she changed some of the letters to make them a master number. I'm not, I don't know much about master numbers, full disclosure, but my mum's really into master it. Master number? Like yeah. A master so, like, number. master What's numbers are like nine. And I think, oh gosh, you've stumped me on, on this. My mum's very into <laughs> it. But they're like, yeah, they're powerful numbers. Powerful and numbers. In, yeah. Powerful numbers. And in some way, how letters convert to numbers, it's very complicated. But she's very into it. <laughs> I, I love that as a. Uh, I got my PhD in classical composition and in music, they've always got these embedded names and messages and all kinds of stuff. So I love that. That's really neat. So beyond your first name, uh, tell us all about you. Yeah. Okay. So, wow, where do I start? I think I'll go back to the very, very early years of being a seven-year-old kid where my passion for life came from, which was horses. So I got given a little pony on my seventh birthday. Her name was Honey Babe, and she very quickly became my best friend. And I fell in love from horses from that day onwards and started pursuing a very fun career within horses. And I got up to quite a high level of dressage riding until my life completely changed in July 2017, where my dressage horse, we were training to qualify for the World Equestrian Games and she actually reared up and I fell off her and all her 600 kilos came landing down on top of me when I was on the ground. So I managed to push her off me as she landed on top of me and army 
crawl out of the way so when she stood up she didn't trampled me and then I collapsed a couple of meters away in the cold arena sand uh, unable to feel or move either of my legs so I thought I'd broken my spine and I got airlifted to Alfred Hospital because I was about a couple of hours outside of the Melbourne CBD and there they assessed the damage and told me I had um, badly broken my pelvis, broken both of my hips, ball and socket and severe nerve damage to my right leg and I had to go into a nine-hour surgery and I awoke from that with the medical team really unsure if I was ever going to be able to walk again in any meaningful way. So six months in rehab hospital, learning how to stand again, learning how to walk, as well as learning how to live life in a wheelchair. And the reason I kind of tell that story, because that's the foundation of everything that I've done since. So when I was lying in hospital, something really clicked inside me. And I think my passion and drive, which once was horses, transferred to making sure I can do everything I can to inspire people to see their remarkable full potential because I was lying in hospital having people telling me I may never walk again and now four years later I'm out running 10k and taking my dogs to nice hikes and doing all that kind of stuff so from that moment on my commitment was to really work with people to make sure that they don't take on external limitating beliefs and to empower them to um, connect with their courage. What a remarkable story. Uh, and uh, it's clear that it still triggers your emotions. So it's, it's, um, it's still close to home. It's still part of you. So I'm, I'm actually, um, I'm curious what happened to your horse. Oh, for her, she just shook the sand off and ran back to her paddock and started eating dinner. So. <laughs> Was she any part of your recovery? Did you end up being able to go back to see her or anything like that? Or Sadly, I had two horses at the time and I had to sell both of them because six months with no working and medical bills that are increasing, I couldn't afford to keep my horses and I needed to use the money to pay some of my medical bills. So that was Probably the most challenging part, actually saying goodbye, and I still get emotional now, but saying goodbye to my horses from a hospital bed and not being able to, to see them. Both of them have gone into state now, so it's not like I can just get in a car and, and go and see them. But I follow them and my higher level horse, which was an international level dressage horse, he's out there smashing goals, winning tournaments, doing great things, wow. which is... Yeah, it's bittersweet because you kind of think, oh, that's amazing that the horse has gone on and the horse is achieving what what it was born to achieve. But it's it's sad that I'm not on its back achieving those goals. Yeah, it's got to be kind of like, you know, a relationship that's broken and one, one has gone on to achieve all the things that you plan to do together. Yeah, it's, pretty it's much. Got to be tough. <laughs> Very so tough. So before the accident, you were a CPA. Well, I was, I, I graduated from university with a bachelor's of accounting and I actually started, I signed up to my CPA just before the accident happened. Uh, so okay. I studied my CPA from a hospital bed. <laughs> right. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I'm also, a, a, well, I'm a chartered accountant, but yeah, I, I know what you did. So it's pretty cool. Yeah. yeah. So why did you change, what was it that changed from that 
CPA direction into what you're doing now, which is kind of different. It's very, very different. So when I started my career path, my horses were everything. That was my reason to get out of bed. So career was just earn dollars and cents to pay for horse feed, to pay for lessons, to pay for competition entry. Uh, And I was always very good at numbers. It made sense. Accounting was logical. It had a format to it. It was something that I could easily kind of do. So I was attracted to it because I love numbers. And a career was never something, it was secondary to the horses and accounting pays well. So those were the reasons. Then when I had that accident, something inside me completely changed and I realised my purpose here is not to be a Grand Prix dressage rider and the, the trauma that I went through and I consider I've turned that trauma into triumph. And part of my motivation on the days I couldn't stand up for myself, I would look around the rehab room at the people that were struggling to stand up from knee operations or hip operations. And I could see that they just wanted to give up. So on those days when I couldn't stand up for myself, I stood up for the other people in the rehab room to kind of show them if I can do it, they can do it. And That just gave me more and more energy to work harder and and push harder through my rehab, which then led into this passion of now coaching people to find the courage to overcome their adversity and setting up the not-for-profit Empowered Women in Trades with the purpose to get more females in our skilled trades in Australia, which is an extremely male-dominated environment. Women only represent 2% of our skilled trades in Australia. So I think, yeah, something happened in me. My pelvis broke, my world broke, everything broke. And as my mind and body put myself back together like a little disco ball with all these little pieces, it put me back together with a very different focus and drive in life. So I'm, I'm curious about your, your image in a way, because I think so dressage a lot like a lot of uh, sports that, that have elegance to them, they look easy, they look <laughs> elegant, they look lovely, but in truth, you are, it's extremely physical, right? So similar to, you know, you, you talk about pain and, and not just sort of getting through it, but, but it, it being a, a catalyst, being part of who you are. And I'm really curious as to how you see the world differently than others and, and, and how you're trying to kind of get that message out there. Because I think, you know, when people see you from the outside, they think, oh, wow, she's got it. She's got it easy. You know, look at her headshots, look at the dressage, look at the everything else. So, yeah, what are your thoughts on that? So I, so I live in daily chronic pain. I've had 15 operations since the accident. And the way that I've been able to come out and have that image is I've really worked on becoming the master of my own pain and not letting pain be the master of me. And that's the message I really give to a lot of people. My, my adversity is pain. Other people's adversity is different, different things. But the way that I've become the master of my own pain is kind of know thy enemy. I've researched so much about how pain works in the brain, what your brain does with pain, all the different kind of academia behind pain so that I can develop mental strategies to, to talk my brain out of 
feeling the pain or focusing on the pain or allowing the pain to be the master of your life. And it's, it's hard work. It's a daily commitment. And, but it's a mindset. You can choose to be the victim of your situations or you can choose to grow from your situations and be the master of your situations. And that's just hard to choose every day. And some days I sit in the shower and I cry and I cry and I cry and I just want to give up. And I give myself that half an hour to fall apart, listen to sad songs, do anything. Then after that half an hour, an alarm goes off on my phone and I practice gratitude. So I get up, I go walk my dogs because I'm grateful I'm allowed to walk my dogs or I'll go on, ride my bike or I'll do something that I'm so grateful for and kind of switch out of that moment. But you still got to respect those negative feelings. Wow. <laughs> yeah, you've got, you've got kind of emotions welling up in me too. I think the... So you have a good way of going there, which which is remarkable in the sort of media focused environment where people are are trained, right? The media training often takes the emotion out. Um, yeah. So I think you know for the for the listeners, she's got just a little bit of tears in her eyes <laughs> at times, right? And you can hear it in the voice. But the I love I love that you're actually going there. So I'm, I'm interested. How that comes across to your, I guess, your um, the folks that that are following you and the folks you want to be reaching out to. How important is that sort of real emotional connection? Incredibly important. A lot of the people I work with and keynotes I do in corporates and everything, I talk about vulnerable conversations, even in my own team at work or anyone I deal with. It's about having vulnerable conversations and we all need to realize we're human. We're not robots. And I work a lot in, in the male dominated environment. So I'm working very hard to bring vulnerability into the conversations in a masculine environment. And it's actually extremely powerful because when women or men can come into a workplace and, and, and not overshare, not coming in and having details about the fights with their wives or husbands or things like that, but when they can come in and have that moment of vulnerability and say, hey, I'm struggling, can we move this meeting or can you present in this meeting or can you do something like, you know, take the situation because I'm struggling having that moment of vulnerability actually creates true connection within the workplace, true relationships. Because at the end of the day, emotions is what we understand as humans. That's We see it in people's faces, we hear it in people's voices. And as much as you try and hide emotion, you're always going to be there. And if you hide it, then you're creating a relationship of distrust because we'll naturally feel like you're hiding something from us. So being vulnerable, being emotional actually creates authentic connection and you're going to have relationships that are based on trust. Trust is a big, a big thing. So in the, uh, in the coaching world, obviously trust and vulnerability is very important. Authenticity is very important. But how do you generate trust before people get to know you? I mean, how, what's the relationship process from a distance, because I, I suspect you're in Melbourne, are you? Yes. And yep. they're still locked down? Or yeah. have you just come out? You're still no, locked we're down. still locked down. <laughs> so that's... Uh, did you guess that from the accent or something? How did you know that? <laughs> I didn't want to reveal that to you. <laughs> the accent, yes. Yeah. <laughs> Melbourne born and bred. <laughs> so what, what I 
what I cannot tell you is what part of Melbourne you're in. No. So, but I'm going to guess southeastern. Yes. Yeah. So, Alfington. I'm going to guess outside of Pakenham somewhere. Oh no, not that far. No, not that far. I used, I used <laughs> to have my horses down at um, Summers, down Summers, Summers on the peninsula. But yeah. I'm a city girl, so I live in Alfington. Oh, okay, cool. Just Got out it. of the city. Yeah, I, I grew up in Dandenong, so. Ah, beautiful. Yeah. But great cool. question. <laughs> but great question about the the trust. And again, that from my experience comes down to consistency. So what what I say on this podcast, what I write on my LinkedIn posts or profiles, what I'm putting up on Instagram. None of it, it's all from the heart and what you say from the heart lands on the heart. It's not marketing spiel. It's not, I haven't sat down with a strategic communications person going, ooh, what words are going to land? They come from my heart and they come from my, from, from my, in, inside me. So then when people do meet me face to face, I'm very consistent in, in my message that I'm putting out there. So the trust is naturally there very quickly because they're like, okay, yeah, she's she's talking about courage or she's talking about this or she's talking about inspiring people within the manufacturing industry. And because that message is so consistent across all my platforms, people are very comfortable very quickly. Um, the other way that I do it, especially because I work in, in manufacturing and very male-dominated environments, and being a female, I am so true to my feminine side. I walk into these manufacturing roundtables with my pink suits on, with my sparkly heels, with my long hair out, and I don't hide anything. I don't hide that I'm a girly girl. I don't hide that. So when I walk into the room, again, all the males don't think I'm trying to mimic them or trying to fit into the boys' club. I'm like, yeah, I'm a girl in this boys' club, and I'm 100% okay with that. And because there's no hiding, there's no distrust. So for me, the way to build trust is just show up as you. Otherwise, people think you're hiding something and they'll naturally distrust you. That's beautiful. Yeah, I love that. So if we go back to, I, I just, this is sitting on my chest uh, in, because, because it, as part of your story, the, I find it so remarkable that your friend, this, this horse, all right, you're very close to him he was pressing you down and you had to somehow get out from underneath. And that moment I find to be very interesting. And, and to me, it ties very directly to what you do and how you speak about being yourself. Cause that is your friend. That is the horse, but you're like, no, I, I have to get out from underneath here. This, this massive weight, I have to move. I have to do something. I have to, take action i have to get up in the morning i even despite the pain i got to do the operations but then i got to be me what does that tie together there's obviously some kind of passion and drive you have for moving forward for i guess getting the dead weight of <laughs> your large horse <laughs> off of you yeah it, it almost works no, it, it's very, very true because in that split second, again, as I say, we all have choices in every situation and in that split second I could have had the choice to just give up and lie there and let the situation get 100% worse 
or I could have done what I did and wiggle my way out and push the weight off and crawl a couple of metres away and then collapse when there was safety. So I think for me, I've always had that can-do, will-do attitude. I've got that that sporting background. I did so much sport at school and I remember my running coach actually when when you're in that, he called it the hurt locker and you feel sick and you're like, I can't run anymore. And he's like, no, you're in the hurt locker. This is where winners are made. So just do another 50 metres or do another 100 metres. Like you've worked so hard to get in the hurt locker. Celebrate that and push harder. So I think it takes so much energy, but when you do have that horse sitting on you in life, you just have to go down and find what that pilot light inside you is to push hard through that wall, whether it's a 30-second wall or a 10-second wall or a two-minute wall, whatever you're facing, whether that's you are experiencing depression and you're struggling to get off the couch to go make yourself breakfast, How I did it is I broke it down into the tiniest, tiniest little split second micro goals. I'm like, okay, right, you need to push her forward and then you need to like wiggle yourself to the side. You need to flip yourself over and you just need to drag your lifeless body two metres and then you can give up. So I gave myself the give up goal, but I had like four or five things I had to do before I could give up. And I do that all the time. So when I'm recovering from operations, I'm like, you just got to get from the bed to the couch. And what what's in that? That's like 20 steps. You've got to go down the here. You've got to do that. And I break it down into literally step-by-step goals. And I give myself where I can give up. So if, if you don't have that give up goal, I find when you're dealing with hardship and adversity, it does get overwhelming. If you're like, oh, I just have to keep going forever. No, you're allowed to fall down. You're allowed to give up. You're allowed to stay down and rest until you're ready to stand back up. But it's important to set that goal a few steps in front of yourself so you're still progressing. And the reality is that... Um if we want to make any significant change in our lives, any directional change in our lives, we often have to get out from under the weight of that which is holding us down. Very much so. And the first thing with a lot of people is realising what that weight is. And and we often deflect, we'll say, oh, it's work or it's our relationships or it's this or it's that. So with a lot of people I work with, it's actually going down and saying, what, what is that weight? And generally, it comes to reflecting in yourself. And if it's work, the weight comes to the fact that you've got anxiety because you you think you've got imposter syndrome or you think that people at work have got it in for you or something like that. Usually the weight, even when we say it's external things, once you dig down, there's an actual internal thing that you need to fix. Wow. It's amazing. You You use language that's different than all the other folks out there. So I, I think that that's probably the most extraordinary thing about speaking with you. And I, you know, you're definitely to be commended for that because I think it, it's a it's a struggle not to use the same terms that other healers and other coaches and trainers and speakers are using. So um, thank I, I you. keep doing that. I will. Thank you very much. So we like to keep these interviews short. Um, often significantly shorter than this, but you're just too much fun to talk to. So I I really appreciate you spending so much of your time with us. So, hey, Sia, how do people connect with you? How do they contact you? And 
very importantly, who would you like to contact with you? Yeah. Well, I, within Australia, I work with people worldwide. So I do um, coaching over Zoom for people anywhere in, in the country, uh, in the world, sorry. And I usually work with what I call emerging leaders. So people that want to be leaders, but don't necessarily have the title of executive or C-suite or manager or whatever, but have that mindset that they can lead without a title, but they have a bit of self-doubt and lacking the courage to actually step up and be a leader for their community, for their organisation, even for their families. I work for a couple of stay-at-home mums that want to be better leaders for their for their kids and a better leader for their husbands. So leadership is not just a corporate thing. So I work with emerging leaders that want to have the courage to step up and, and lead in this world. So I, you can reach out to me through LinkedIn. I'm just Hacia Atherton on, on LinkedIn. And I've also got my own website, which is haciaratherton.com. And again, Hacia Atherton on Instagram. Having a unique name, it's pretty easy to get the handles that are just my name. And I love that we've now got great bookends on the episode because we started out talking about Hacia uh, your first name and uh, now we're ending with that so thank you so much for talking with us um, and I can verify for the the listeners that she is exactly as she described walking into that meeting complete with the the really cool pink blazer and all the rest <laughs> great thank you so much it's been an absolute pleasure and honor to be here with you guys Thanks, Hosea. Wow. I, I, I really don't know what to say. I love your story. I, I love your perseverance. I love your strength. You're a fierce, fierce woman. And I can't wait to see where you, where you go. I was particularly taken by the fact that you used corporate business strategy as a way to get back on your feet and learn to walk again. Crazy, good, amazing stuff. Yeah, it's, it's really neat to hear about your nonprofit and the, the 2% of women in your country who are, you know, in, a, in that position of power in, in, uh, in the trades. So inspiring to hear you, you know, going after it and everything in your life kind of having that can-do attitude and, and taking action. So really inspiring. Uh, hopefully this got a, a bunch of people up off their couches and I don't know, shouting at the neighbor? Yeah. I mean, I think sometimes we all need to be shouted at uh, to wake us up. So <laughs> maybe sure. we need to shout at our listeners and say, if you want to find out more about us, you need to go to thoughtpartnergroup.com, read what's there, maybe even do the little assessment. You'll find a button top right-hand corner of the site. Do the assessment. We'll spend a minute looking at it. You'll take a minute to do it and in minutes you'll get results uh, and if you like uh, you can subscribe to the podcast wherever fine podcasts are served and you know take this podcast to heart uh, we got one life be inspired do something you know don't fuck it up this is your chance yeah see you on the next podcast mm-hmm.